0: Well, it is good to be together on this Good Friday. Uh, this Easter season at Trinity here, we are walking through a three-part series called uh, What Kind of King, where we've, looking at, uh, we've been looking at some familiar, maybe Easter texts that show us really clearly just who Jesus is. And so we started on this past Sunday Looking at Mark 11, 1 to 11, this is a, 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 the triumphal entry passage, and we saw Jesus as the kind of king who is, who is always in control, uh, who submits fully to the word and the will of God, the Father. We see Jesus as the, the kind of king who embodies humility and the king who alone can save. And so as we gather this morning, on this Good Friday morning, I want to walk us through four scenes that took place some 2,000 years ago in and around Jerusalem. And we're going to move through these scenes, and I hope that as we sort of picture them in our mind's eye as well, that, that we would feel the emotions that filled them as Jesus was headed towards the cross. So we are again going to stay grounded in in Mark's biography of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open up there. You can head online to any number of of Bible websites to grab one. If you don't have a physical copy in front of you, I uh, appreciate the YouVersion Bible at Bible.com is one of my go-to sites for that. So you can head there. And just as we're opening up to Mark chapter 14, let me remind us of a couple of things, the the context of these passages we're going to look at today. Uh, all of this is taking place during the Jewish uh, festival of Passover in Jerusalem. This was the biggest celebration on the calendar. It was the busiest time to be in Jerusalem. The, the, the population of Jerusalem swelled maybe five or six times. It's, it's normal uh, during this festival. The, the Passover festival was one that, that celebrated a defining moment in the history of Israel. Over a thousand years before, they had been slaves in Egypt until one night God sent uh, Moses to, to bring his people out. And, and on one night, God sent divine judgment on the land. And the people were told that unless you took uh, a sacrificial lamb and you, you uh, prepared it for a meal, but you, you put its blood on your doorposts, the firstborn of your family would die because of this judgment. And, and every family that expressed their faith in God and did this, the judgment passed over their homes. See, you were saved on the basis of a sacrifice taking your place. And so that's the underlying context of, of what's happening now. The, it's, it's in the minds of all the Jews as they gather here in Jerusalem. It's, it's what's in the hearts of the people as they meet. And so our first scene is, is what we call today uh, the Lord's Supper. And so as we look at these verses, remember that, that Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully human as well. He had feelings. He experienced emotions. Elsewhere, we read that, that he, was, he was really looking forward to sharing this meal with his disciples. Sharing meals in, in those days, and, and maybe as, as we're in the midst of this uh, pandemic now, we really long for the opportunity where we could share a meal with one another. But in those days, it was a, it was a really intimate thing. And Jesus loved these men, these disciples, and this Passover feast, it was an honor for them to be sharing together. And so we pick up in Mark 14 at verse 25. We read this, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many truly i say to you i will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day i drink it new in the kingdom of god now just as a uh, they don't want to turn it into announcement but as a as a heads up on sunday morning we will be uh, taking communion together so i will invite you to to have some bread and have some juice for that time together for our sunday morning service but what we see here in these couple short verses is Jesus is looking at his closest friends. Guys, he, he deeply loves it. He spent the last three years with and he looks them in the eyes and says, listen, this is it. Everything you've seen me do for the last three years, everything I've come for is about to take place. This is the, the crux of my ministry. This is the reason why I came. I'm giving up my body and I'm shedding my blood for the many. And we see here that Jesus is going uh, off script, if you will, for a typical Passover feast. When instead of remembering the sacrifice of that lamb back in Egypt, he says that the bread and the cup represent his body and his blood that are going to be the sacrifice. He's saying that that he will be the new and better sacrifice. And and as a result of his work, there's going to be a new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people. Uh, Tim Keller helpfully says this, When Jesus announces that he will not eat or drink until he meets us in the kingdom, he's promising that he is unconditionally committed to us. He's saying, the work I'm about to do is going to bring you into the Father's arms, and I'm going to bring you to the feast of the king. And so uh, what kind of king is Jesus? He's the kind of king who is unconditionally committed to us. Now you'll notice as well, if you, you flip through this story, as it is in all four of the biographies of Jesus, all four of our Gospels, none of them mention that they ate a Passover lamb together, which was an integral and important part of the festival. The Passover meal always had a lamb as the main course to, to commemorate, uh, again, remind the people of the lamb sacrifice in Egypt. But here's the thing, there's no lamb at this meal. It's as if one writer says there's, there's no lamb on the table, because the Lamb of God is seated at the table with these men. Consider some of the scriptures that are, are coming to light in this moment for the disciples and for us as we look back in John 1:29. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus for the first time, he proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the prophet Isaiah, writing hundreds of years before that, in Isaiah 53, said, Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was counted among the rebels. He, he bore the sins of many and interceded for those rebels. And so when Jesus says here in Mark, this is my body, this is my blood poured out for the many, he means I am the one that Isaiah spoke about. I'm the one that John spoke about. I'm the Lamb of God to which every other Lamb of God up to this point pointed towards. I'm I'm the one sacrifice that every other sacrifice hinted at and pointed towards. So what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus as king is the Lamb of God, the once for all sacrifice. Our second scene takes place just a few verses later in Mark 14 in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now when we look back at historical writings, we have uh, many stories of of, of Greek and Roman heroes of the time who who when they faced death, they were calm and dispassionate. And we have Jewish histories around the time that that show their heroes as as hot-blooded and fearless, praising God as they die for his cause. Even throughout church history, we have, we have stories of the martyrs who, who stand tall, and, and we, we remember maybe uh, the martyrs in, in, in London where they said, you know, play the man and let our fire burn because we'll, our story will be told throughout all history. But nothing in either of those traditions, in any of those traditions, or really, really anything in ancient literature, give us this portrayal like Mark gives us as Jesus' last hours are coming up here. Mark 14, verse 32. And so they, Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further further, we read Jesus fell on the ground that, prays that if it, and prayed that if it were possible that, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and he went away again and prayed saying the same words and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy they they didn't know how to answer him and then he came a third time and said to them are you still sleeping and and taking your rest it's enough the hour has come the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let's be going see my betrayer is at hand In these verses, in these moments, Jesus' raw emotion is on full display for us. We've never really seen this kind of emotion in him before. He says, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. He's distressed. He's troubled. The word here literally means to be overcome with horror. We're so often used to seeing confident and in control Jesus. But that's not what we see here. Jesus has had his face set on Jerusalem. He, he knows he's headed towards the cross for us. And yet in this moment, we see him cry out to the Father, is there some other way? Is this the only way that we can complete our mission? Keller, again, helpfully says that, that something happened here in the garden. Jesus saw and, and felt and sensed something and it shocked the unshockable Son of God. He was facing something beyond physical torment and even beyond physical death, something that was so much worse that these were like flea bites by comparison. He was smothered by a mere whiff of what he would go through on the cross. He says Jesus began to experience the spiritual and cosmic and infinite disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his father on the cross. He began to experience merely a foretaste of that, and he staggered. We read that that three times Jesus went and prayed, and he said, if it's possible, take this away from me. In one of the other gospels, we're told that Jesus was was so distressed and so emotional at this point that he was at the point of, of sweating drops of blood. And now imagine this scene between father and son as Jesus prayed. Two who have been together in perfect community, perfect unity for all eternity up to this point. And now Jesus is just hours away from a a chasm being torn in between them. And he says, Father, is there any other way? Yet look what he says. Not what I will, but your will be done. He's, He's begging the Father to carry out the mission some other way if there is another way. But he's not asking the Father to abandon the mission altogether. Why? Because Jesus realizes that, as horrible as all that is to come is going to be, he knows that his immediate desire to be be spared the, the physical, the emotional torment he's about to head into, he's instead bowing before his ultimate desire to spare and rescue us. Jesus doesn't deny his emotions here. He doesn't avoid suffering, and there's a lesson there for us as well. But instead, he loves into the suffering. In the midst of the suffering, he obeys for the love of the Father, and he obeys for the love of us. So what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the kind of king who endured this suffering because he loved us. Because God loved us so much, because Jesus loved you and me so much, he went to the cross. He went through it all. And so listen, no matter what happens in life, wherever you are, wherever you've come from right now, you can look at this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane and you can look to the cross and know that God loves you. And that is a love. That's a a love that is so high and so wide and so long and so deep That that love of Jesus that would would endure not only a brutal physical death, but also experience the agony of being separated from the Father for the only time in eternity. is a love that that you and I have been looking for for our entire lives. There's no other love that will fulfill us that way. There's no family love, no friendships, no spouse, no romantic love will ever uh, satisfy you in the way this love will. All of those will let you down at some point. But this love of Jesus, this love of God, will never let us down. Scene three. Flip a little bit ahead to Mark chapter 17, verse 20, and we find ourselves on on the Via Dolorosa. This is is Latin for for the way of suffering. It's a path that that went into old Jerusalem that's thought to be the path Jesus took when he, he walked out to be crucified. Let me read this passage for us, verse 17 through 20. And they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to be crucified. Picture the shift in atmosphere that's taken place on this road in just a few short days. On Palm Sunday, people cheered and shouted, Hosanna, save us. They greeted Jesus like the coming king that he is. And yet they didn't fully understand the kind of king that Jesus is. And so now, days later, we find the crowd shouting, crucify him calling for this most horrific, agonizing, humiliating way to be put to death. And all of Jesus' friends have deserted and abandoned him as well. It's notable for us that that Mark doesn't get into too many details surrounding Jesus' arrest and beatings and crucifixion. Instead, Mark is focusing on the why of all these events. He wants to get us to the cross. And at this moment, he doesn't explicitly quote Psalm 22 for us yet, but perhaps these words from Psalm 22 are in his mind as he writes. Look at Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. psalm starts, all, all who see me, mock me, they hurl insults, they, they're shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in the Lord. So what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the kind of king that, that even though we abandoned him, he has not abandoned us. One final scene, we head to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Mark 15, 22 through 39, let me read it for us. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And they offer him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him, and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the king, the Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. When the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on the reed and, and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this was the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Everything in the book of Mark and everything in human history culminates at this moment. Jesus, the Son of God, had come to earth and become a man. He chose disciples. He had crowds follow him. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He healed people. He calmed storms. He he walked on water. He he fed thousands of people with, with a boy's lunch. He raised people from the dead. The crowds went from shouting, Hosanna, save us on Sunday to crucify him on Friday. He wrestled with God saying, is there any other way we can do this? What we see here at the cross is the greatest act of love in human history. Now those last couple of verses that we read are extremely important. Mark tells us that the the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, this was not just some small little veil that divided two spots or or symbolized a border, but this was a a heavy and thick curtain that would have been nearly as tough as a wall itself, and it was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was, was the thing that separated the holy of holies in the temple from the rest of the temple. It was the barrier in that place between the presence of God and the people. But at that moment that Jesus died, this massive curtain was ripped into, top to bottom. This was God's way of saying to us, this is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. The way is now open to approach me. I love, again, how Tim Keller puts this. He says, now that Jesus has died, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him can see God and connect to God. The barrier is gone for good. Our trajectory has been permanently redirected toward God. And that's only possible because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Anyone who believes can now go in to the presence of God. God loved us so much that he would die on a cross for us so that you and I can be totally forgiven from all the ways that we've gone our own way. We are are totally washed clean and can come into the presence of God. The cross is the way that we, we come to the Father. And so what kind of king is Jesus? He is the kind of king who gave his life so that we can be made whole again. We can be made right with God. We can come into his presence later in the New Testament. We read that we can boldly approach the throne of God because of the work Jesus did as our king. And then, just in case we miss this in Mark telling us about the curtain, Mark immediately shows us through the confession of a Roman guard that all of this has come true the guard says surely this man was the son of god now remember how mark started his gospel how mark started this biography of jesus look back at mark chapter 1 verse 1. he opens saying this is the beginning of the gospel of jesus the christ the son of god that same phrase that same title this right here is the first time that a human had figured out who jesus was the disciples had called him the Christ, but that didn't necessarily mean in their context that he was God, just that he was this, this promised one. He'd been called the prophet. He'd been called a lot of things. But all along the way, uh, no one had yet called him the son of God. All the things he had done pointed to him being the son of God. The people were asking, who is this man? All throughout the gospel. And yet it's, it's not until this moment where a Roman soldier presiding over his death Does anyone get it? It's amazing, again, that that this this Roman who who served the Roman's gods, who would have addressed Caesar as a son of the gods, heard Jesus cry, saw him die, and something clicked, and he got it. Surely, this man was the son of God. This message that Jesus was the son of God and came to die on, on a cross for you and for me should rattle us right to our core and if it doesn't if if this story that of the gospel the story of jesus taking our place on the cross doesn't rattle us then then we need to to take some time and slow down we need to head back to mark 1 1 and start reading again slowly maybe between now and sunday morning to read it again in light of this in light of jesus son of god coming to die on a cross for us everything else becomes secondary This message that that God has come in the flesh for you and for me changes everything. We're not here alone. We're not just trying to figure things out on ourselves. We're not just trying to, to make the best life we can until we die. We are loved by the creator of the universe who did something about our plight to draw us back into a relationship with him. He came for you. He died for you. And he loves you. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. Let me pray for us. God, we again thank you for your word, that we have the Bible, that we have this story preserved for us for the last 2,000 years so that we can read it, we can be reminded of it, and you can speak to our hearts through it. God, if, if maybe this is the first time we've heard this story, maybe this is uh, the first time we, we, we've stopped and slowed down and, and considered, uh, what is this? What kind of king is this Jesus? I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And, and, and if for the first time we're thinking, I, I need to be following this kind of king. The others have, have failed me. The economy's failed me. My relationships have failed me. All these other things that I have put my hope and trust in have faltered or failed. I want to try Jesus. I, I pray that, that we would just pray together in this moment, uh, Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you that you are this king. I recognize that I have gone my own way. I need to come back. I, I need to, to learn again who you are. Teach me. Thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you, you love me. Thank you that you died for me. And if we've maybe been, been following you, Jesus, for some time, we just need this reminder, thank you, that we can, can come back again and again, Can confess our sins and, and confess the ways that we've, we've gone our own way and come back and you, you draw us back, you accept us back. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the greatness of your good news, the greatness of the gospel through these passages. Help us as well to, to follow Jesus' example and to die the things of this world and to follow you, and to follow you alone. And we pray all of these things, Jesus, in your good name. Amen.